Welcome to Transpo, the travel inspiration podcast. This is episode 20, and as such, I'm here to tell you a travel story of my own. I have my travel partner here today to tell the story along with me. It's James Montemagno. Welcome, James. Hey, Heather. Yeah, it's great to be back. I was here, what, 10 episodes ago, and you were telling your story of when you went to Korea, which was magical for me to listen to. Uh, and it's great. We have a brand new podcast set up here in Seattle, which is very exciting. So uh, I'm really excited to be back. It is awesome. We're testing out our studio set up for the first time. And I'm excited in particular for you to be on this podcast because I'm going to be talking about a trip that we took together back in 2017, early 2017. You and I travel? Is that the thing? Once in a while, yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. We try to travel quite international a few times a year, but there were a few years or it was like every other week we were going somewhere, I swear it felt like. Yes, we traveled a lot. I think a lot domestically, but we also have traveled quite a bit internationally. And so this is an international story. Let's start by setting the scene. So we're deep in a cave in a pretty small town in the middle of Cuba. And this cave happens to also be a discotheca that's owned by the government. And there's some music jamming. And we're scoping out the sitch, trying to figure out, should we go dance? What do we go do now? So we go to grab a drink, and we're at the bar. And out of nowhere, I hear my name called. And I can't help but think, who other than you in this entire country, knows me. (laughs) Uh, And it happens to be someone I do actually know. They are calling my name. (laughs) There's not a lot of Heathers in Spanish-speaking countries. I dare. Not a name that's easily pronounced in Spanish. And uh, it is for me. And it's actually two ladies that we spent about four and a half hours in a taxi cab with a few days prior across the country. (laughs) Best friends. (laughs) Yeah, our new best friends, essentially. And we spent that entire night dancing with them. So um, how do we find ourselves there? Well, the best part of all this entire situation is that this is the first time in three years that we had ever gone dancing together. It's true. It's the first time we had been to a club together. A club together. I guess we had danced at weddings and things and in the comfort of our own home. (laughs) However, yeah, out at a club... This is the first time, and uh, what a scene. And definitely the first club in a cave together, (laughs) deep underground. But not the last. (laughs) Hopefully not. Yeah, I think that marked the middle of this trip to Cuba that we took. And we're in a town called Trinidad, and we had decided that we wanted to go to this town when we originally were figuring out where we wanted to go in Cuba. And we picked Trinidad because it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, so it's very beautiful. All the pictures of it are incredible. And we also thought that it was one of the further away towns of a lot of the towns that are listed as major destinations in tourist books. So we thought, okay, this one's far away. There won't be that many people there. It looks incredibly beautiful. We'll spend half of our time there and we'll just relax. Maybe we'll even get to go to the beach one day. And 
we got to Trinidad and it was absolutely packed with tourists. I think it was more touristy than Havana, which there probably weren't more tourists actually in the town, but for the size of the town, it was filled to the brim with tourists. Yeah, and even walking up the, I guess it wasn't a mountain, but it was kind of mountainous, this big hill to get to the nightclub. Uh, standing in line, it was basically us and a bunch of tourists that are like, oh, I read this in this book, <laughs> you know? Um, and that was the thing. We wanted to go to Trinidad because we thought that there were going to be less tourist opportunities. And if you know anything about us, or maybe you're just learning for the first or second time, we don't like to do the normal traditional things on trips. We do like the touristy things. There's beautiful parts. There's beautiful beaches. But we like to get out there and explore and do as the locals do, or sometimes just get lost wandering for five hours. <laughs> That's exactly true. I think that we've talked to so many people both before and after we went to Cuba that have also been to Cuba. And I would say the vast majority of them had had a very different experience than us. And what I found is that a lot of folks have gone on a tour trip where they have kind of everything planned for them or they've just gone and sat on the beach at a resort. And it's been a really nice trip because it's just a relaxing, beautiful time. And Cuba is an absolutely beautiful and gorgeous country with amazing beaches and beautiful scenery. But we didn't really spend that much time on the beach at all. And we definitely learned a little bit more about what it's like to live in Cuba and to be there. Definitely not an expert in any sense, but I think that we got a better idea of that than the average tourist that we've talked to about Cuba. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to throw shade on people that, that did do some touristy things or got a cruise boat and pulled in. However, it is a very different experience as to not only just going into each of these cities, but like we did, we just booked Airbnbs in these casas and we went the route of not like we were trying to scrape by or anything like that, but it was let's just kind of do Cuba as Cuba would. Yeah, and we kind of did it a little bit spontaneously. We did book our Casa Particulares ahead of time through Airbnb, but we didn't know how we were getting from Havana to Trinidad, for example, which is a pretty far distance. And so we kind of figured out some of those things both there and back and intercity travel on the fly. So there was a lot of just kind of let's go with it. And I think in particular, our Casa Particular in Trinidad was really interesting because it is a small town that you can tell is just so beautiful. It has really historical buildings and the folks that we stayed with, they were really nice and really sweet, but I could just tell that they didn't seem super excited to host us. And I know that they make money. I mean, they own their residence. They make money off of tourists. And so we didn't have this direct conversation with them, but I found myself thinking how difficult it must be for them in a position where their town has basically been taken over by tourists. There's so many tourists in this town day in and day out. They live in the center of the town. It's not a very big town, so you can't live very far outside of it anyway. But to probably even 10 or 20 years ago have a sleepy town that you love and then today to have it be just overrun with tourists and granted that gets you some money and it gets some economy going, it also 
I saw some sadness there. Yeah, uh, there's a few places that we've traveled around where that seems to be a little bit of the case. It reminds me of when I went to Amsterdam. When I went to Amsterdam for the first time, I felt like a tourist in a tourist city catering to tourists. That everything around it and how it was catered is that it was for me. And when I was in Cuba, I felt that way. So as we walked around Trinidad, which is a beautiful, gorgeous city, right? Just really historic, like you were saying. When you're walking around the downtown, and there's a distinction here I want to make. So when we're walking down the downtown, it's like the same trinkets. It's the same setup. It's all the things that the tourists would like and have and the restaurants were catered. But I think once we got outside of the city, as we kind of started to explore and get lost, that's where the beauty again of what it may have used to been in Trinidad downtown maybe 10 to 20 years ago uh, opened up to me. That's a good point. I think I felt that way about being a tourist in a tourist catered city both in Trinidad and in Havana in certain areas and definitely in a lot of Trinidad until we got to those true outskirts and we got to try sugarcane juice that we bought with some coins that we had in our pocket and it was amazing or we got to see some kids playing soccer in the street those are the experiences that we enjoy experiencing but we had to strive for more than usual when we were in Cuba yeah in Cuba it felt like it was easy to go do things and really enjoy them but had that certain feeling to them yeah so on this trip we were there for maybe eight days we spent about half of our time in Trinidad and the other half in Havana which is where we flew in and out of and Havana was equally very touristy. We went on this trip because for our entire lives, we haven't been able as U.S. citizens to travel to Cuba by law. Starting just a few years prior to when we traveled there, we finally had loosened restrictions where we could. And we didn't know how long that would last for. We still kind of don't. But in that moment, we had the chance and we took it. And... I think because of these recent loosening of restrictions, we thought, wow, it'll be great. It's just opening up to tourists. It's not going to be too changed yet. It won't have evolved too much from its true essence. And you get there and there are thousands and thousands of tourists. And it hits you that just because the U.S. can't travel to Cuba doesn't mean every other country, including Europe and other Western countries, couldn't have traveled there. And so I think that was really a moment of like, of course, <laughs> there are other people here, but we get so used to knowing what the people around us think. And if we only see people where we live saying these things about Cuba, we start to believe them too until we visit and see that actually the whole world has been visiting Cuba for many years now. <laughs> yeah, everyone that we talked to in the States that had known a little bit about Cuba or didn't know anything about Cuba and never gone to Cuba, they would tell us the same thing. Oh, it's so good you're going now before it's all changed and it's all touristy and it's all different. You know, in, in your mind, you picture this society that has been restricted, right? Because it was under communist control. And that's how it was going to be when you travel, like in your mind, just as a kid growing up, that's what in the States, like we're kind of taught a little bit like on TV or in books. And that's not the case at all. I mean, Going into Cuba, I thought that it would be like on the cover of our Lonely Planet Cuba book where there's people dancing and there's music in the streets and everyone's having a great time, which was kind of the case-ish, but not to the extent that some people, maybe they travel there a long time ago, 
maybe that was the case and things had maybe changed now that there's even more tourists than ever. Yeah, I definitely had an impression of Havana especially being that city where there's just music in the streets. That's the stereotype that it has, that it's artsy, that there's people enjoying life all over the place and it's colorful. And I definitely think that we experienced some of that. I would say that Havana was very artsy. Some of my favorite things we did there were go to some art galleries, go to some open air art festivals. It was very colorful. We didn't experience that much music in the streets. And that was something I had heard from some friends that had traveled to Cuba only a few months before us even. So I think it is kind of just hit or miss based on where you're staying and where you're walking around. But I think that's something that's really hard to convey without visiting is that Cuba is really a place of contradictions. There is a lot of dichotomy of like this grand place with these beautiful old buildings that are vibrant, but yet they're crumbling and they're absolutely falling apart. One of the places we stayed in Havana that was probably our favorite place we stayed when we first arrived It was exactly one of those buildings that's kind of crumbling and our hostess took us up to the apartment we were staying in and there was no elevator. It was broken. There was a shaft that was completely out of order. All the hallways were blocked off with red tape. Many doors were completely taped off and things were falling apart. And then there were two doors that were normal looking and not taped off. And we stayed at an apartment that was one of those doors. And so it was just a crazy experience. The hallway was leaking. There was water coming from the ceiling. Two thirds of this building was falling apart. And then this other section of it was absolutely livable and we stayed there and had a great time. But it's just this really crazy contradiction of kind of what you think it might be like and what it actually is like, which is there are a lot of things falling apart, but there's also a lot of beauty. That's unlike any place I've ever experienced. Yeah, going up the stairs for the first time and Mariana, who was our host from Airbnb, it was lovely. She was trying to convey that if you need something, you can't contact her and contact the neighbors because there was the two doors. And she's like, let me introduce you to them. And she knocks on the neighbor's doors and it's this old, super old, adorable couple. It's just like my almost like my Nana and Papa, just like hanging out like old Cubans, just living life. Very sweet. Very sweet. You know, and Mariana, that first night was very honest about Cubans are nice, like tourists, it's very safe, there's no guns. And while there were some of these situations where it was almost out of our element, I never once felt unsafe or like I'm in this weird country that I don't know anything about and I don't really know the government system or the culture. I felt safe and I felt good. Like I said early on, there was many times that we were walking in the heat trying to find water maybe we found water but walking around kind of getting a little lost because there's no technology either and but it was kind of a nice adventure too yeah I would definitely agree that while there were moments where we felt uncomfortable and we weren't sure what was going on or what was going to happen or it was just a different situation than we were used to while traveling I never once felt unsafe and it is a very safe country because there aren't any guns allowed there are strict laws against harassing anybody especially tourists and so it's a very safe place where you can walk around anytime day or night and everyone's friendly it's warm it's easy to get around once you orient yourself there isn't any internet 
and with an international cell phone plan we didn't get reception there so you do have to like go to the parks in the public spaces to find internet to figure out where you want to go next if you don't have a map with you but once you get used to it it's pretty walkable and easy to find your way around yeah one of the most interesting parts of the entire trip to cuba Maybe wasn't for me some of the scenic views or places we stayed. The most interesting part was something you just talked about, which was this congregation into public parks where you had to buy Wi-Fi passwords and pay by the minute. And every citizen had to do this or every tourist. Some of the tourist hotels had internet in it where you could buy cards, Mm -hmm. but often you would have to go into public places and only get them. And what interested me the most is the use of technology and cell phones in Cuba, which is very different of how we use them. When we get to this park, it's not that everyone is sitting around scrolling on Twitter or Facebook or Instagramming. Everybody is FaceTiming their family. (laughs) Everybody is sitting outside in FaceTime or WhatsApp or whatever messaging application they're using and just having a conversation because they're probably in some other city or some other park. And they want to be close. And this technology is bringing them closer, not isolating them, which I found the most interesting part of, of what was happening there. Yeah, that's definitely a fascinating observation in 2018, because I think in the U.S. we do use our technology very different. We have the Internet pretty much everywhere we're going on our smartphones and we can scroll through our emails or social medias of any sort. And A, just to see that these people don't have private internet, so they have to go into these public spaces. They have to congregate, even if they are individually on their phone and just checking an email. The fact that they're physically in a space together is just so different that we don't see anymore in our country. And then on top of that, I think the most fascinating part was, like you said, just that literally 80% of the people that are out there using technology, they are FaceTiming someone or they're with their friends and they're FaceTiming someone. And again, it might not be FaceTime exactly, but they're somehow video chatting someone. And that was just incredible. And we would joke of like, are their friends just a few parks over? But I think that's a really awesome show to their culture and to the kind of connectivity that they're having even with technology. And I think that will be fascinating to follow as Cuba in the upcoming years is slated to try to get internet privately in home. So how will that change things there? It's really fascinating to watch because we're so far past that here that we're trying to solve other problems of none of us paying attention to each other when we are in the same physical space. Yeah. I think one of the things that stood out to me most when we visited Cuba was visiting a grocery store in Cuba. So when we're traveling and we're visiting new places and especially new countries, we really like to go visit a grocery store to see what people are buying every day and what are they making for dinner and what options do they have available to them. And it kind of feels like just a thing a local would do. So it's fun to feel like a local, even for a minute, even if you don't understand the language or you can't read the prices right you can kind of get the feel of what it might be like to just be living there and walking over to your grocery store to pick up a snack. And so we were in Havana one day and we stopped into a grocery store in the city. And to be fair, it's probably smaller than other grocery stores in Havana because it was in the center of the city and we were just stopping in to get a bottle of water. But It was incredibly fascinating to see the difference between what a grocery store in Havana is like versus a grocery store in the U.S. 
So when I go to a grocery store in the U.S. and I go into the produce section or the meat section, there's just so many options. The shelves are super stocked. There's 10 kinds of juice. There's five kinds of apples. There's just so many choices. And when we went into this grocery store in Havana, there was one counter along the entire right-hand side of the store. And behind the counter were all the dry goods. There was a few kinds of pasta. There was some Japanese noodles. There was some sauces and oils. There was a lot of alcohol that was like behind the counter and canned goods. And then on the other side of the store was a tiny, small meat counter, and it had a single refrigerated counter that was a see-through refrigerated space for the meats to go in. So in the U.S., you would see a bunch of meat in probably a much larger refrigerated section, but there was just a tiny refrigerated section. It had two or three shelves on it, and instead of having meats in the shelves, there was just meats on a single shelf, and there were three packages, and they were all unique. One was some sausage links, one was a steak of some sort, and another was a ground meat of some sort. And there was one package of each style of meat, and that was it. And so it looked very bare and very empty. And there was a man behind the counter, and he had a little cooler, so if you wanted to buy a meat, you could go up and tell him and point out which meat you wanted, and he would reach into the cooler and get you that kind of meat. So there were more than just those three in the store, But just the way it was sold is so different that it's not flashy. It's not trying to get you to buy something because it's government run and they have three options. If you want to eat meat for dinner tonight, those are the options you have to choose from. You have just these three. And so to think about what that means for your daily life, it really opened my mind to how the world can be so different from the things that I see and take for granted every day. See, This is pretty enlightening because when I saw the meat counter and the three little meats, I didn't realize there was any more meats. I just thought there was three. You better get in there and get those meats quick because if you want those mini sausages, I legitimately (laughs) did not know. I was like, wow, like not only are there minimal options, like the stock is low. Get on it. (laughs) Buy it today. Yeah, it's going fast. Cuba is just such a mystery to U.S. citizens because we haven't been able to visit it for so long and there are a lot of truths and myths that we've been told about Cuba and vice versa, I think. And walking around Cuba, it was a really vibrant and beautiful place, but there also were really interesting things. There were a lot of signs that showed propaganda for Fidel Castro. I mean, there was his face everywhere and while he is a huge symbol there, there would be signs that would say things like Fidel invented sports or brought sports to the country or Fidel is, you know, our patria, he is our love. And so there's so much Fidel everywhere. And so that was kind of, I think, really fitting with what we're told as Americans. But there were other things that weren't as fitting or that I think were not told. For example, one day we went to the Museum of the Revolution in Havana, which shows the revolution from Cuba's perspective. And I think that was really fascinating. While we're taught very different things, so it's just hard to see their point of view on certain things, there were also things that I didn't know about as an American citizen, one being that we actually fund a television and radio show that we try to broadcast out of Florida into Cuba that has U.S. propaganda, anti-Cuba propaganda, basically. 
that WeFund still today, it runs and it's estimated to only affect, I think, less than a percentage of Cubans can get it because during the Cold War, Cuba found out and jammed the signal so that its citizens couldn't receive any of this media. But we still pay millions of dollars every year for it to be broadcast to Cuba. So in some ways, there's things that I've definitely never learned. And it's not necessarily something that seems very effective. Yeah, the entirety of it, I think, you know, even just kind of watching you reflect back, it is tricky, because as a U.S. citizen, or as we're told, this is how it went down. And I think every side is this is how it went down. And I don't want to point figures on either side because I don't know. I wasn't there. I wasn't in the trenches per se. However, some of these other other things are, are quite interesting. I think more than anything, whether everything is factual or not, how they portray it is of interest to me. Yeah, it's two sides of the same story. And it's interesting as a citizen of the world just to know that there's always different perspectives. And it's really good to open your mind to see what other countries think of as their perspective on history. And whether you agree with it or not, you may completely disagree with it. But it's good to see what other people think and to not always just have a single path because, of course, like breeds like. So we have an impetus as a country to want to believe history was a certain way and other countries have an impetus of their own to want to believe history was a certain way. So it's just education at the end of the day and it's really interesting to see the entire history of the Cuban Revolution, how it relates to the U.S., and how that's affected Cuba especially to this day. How it's affected our relations to this day as two countries because Cuba is the only country that the U.S. has ever banned its citizens from traveling to, but also how Cuba, because of all the trade embargoes, has become a country that is still grappling with some of the economy downfalls that they have seen in the last half century. I think another favorite moment of mine from our Cuba trip is that one night we stopped by this place called Copelia. And it's this beautiful building and the architecture is just really kind of avant-garde, which is something I'm super into. And it was weird and it had crazy stools and it was just huge. And we were like, what is this building? And it is an ice cream parlor. And you can also get peso ice cream there. So basically, we had some local currency. There's two kinds of currency in Cuba. One sort is just the kind that tourists get when they exchange money and that tourists basically will use everywhere they go around the country. And there is also another local currency that's much cheaper. So there's 25 pesos to one of the convertible, which is the tourist peso. So we had a few of the local pesos and you can pay, I think, a peso, which is like four cents US dollar. So we got in line and it's a very efficient process. You give them your peso, you pick a flavor of ice cream, you go sit at a table, they bring your ice cream, you eat it, they pick it up. It's incredibly efficient and there are a lot of people. It's very interesting because kind of like the grocery store, there are only so many options of ice cream. There are about six to ten, I think. And 
We try to order a few flavors, and really there are two to three ice creams. And we later learn that this is pretty common, that they might have six on the board or ten on the board, but probably they really have two to three in stock. So there's two to three that you can choose from. I have to say, for four cents, it was probably the best value of ice cream I've ever had. Yeah, and on top of that, they came with little cookies, too, on the side. Now, we each got one, and it's not just like a scoop of ice cream. It's a, almost like a little Sunday dish that they put it in. But there were some people definitely stocking up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we not only indulge in this peso life, if you will, because we mentioned earlier the sugarcane water, which is from a sugarcane you can just get there. We got the peso pizzas, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah. peso pizza is amazing. Also, super cheap. Yeah, we've got some peso pizza, which is good. The most interesting part of the ice cream place wasn't, for me, the ice cream, although it was interesting. It was this throwback to 60s, 70s look and feel in this outdoors, and there was just like hundreds of people, which was really cool. So the scale of it was ginormous. Yeah, there were so many people, and it was indoor and outdoor, So it was just a really cool experience. And again, that everyone was congregating at night to get this peso ice cream. One thing I noticed at the ice cream place, which was common in a lot of our experience when eating out in Cuba, is that people who would wait on us were very transactional. They're very cut and dry. They're taking your order, but they're not necessarily smiling at you. They don't ask you a lot of questions or have a lot of conversation with you, which is perfectly okay. And I think I really realized how I get used to the service industry here in the U.S., when we were visiting Cuba, because here in the U.S., people are always asking you if you need something more. They're always smiling, being really friendly. And as a bit of an introvert, that's not something that I necessarily feel like I need. If someone asked me, like, oh, do you need your waiter or waitress to be very overly friendly and be asking you for water all the time? I would say absolutely not. That's not something I require or even expect them to do. But it is a nice thing that they do. But when we were in Cuba, there was such a lack of this that I really realized how much I take it for granted because the service there was just so incredibly dry. That doesn't mean that the people probably weren't friendly or that they weren't great people, just that in this transaction, that was purely what it was to them, I think. And I think that's common in other countries too. And there are a lot of countries that I've been to where you have to flag down the waiter to get your bill or to place your order because that's just the custom in that place. But in Cuba, I really realized it. And I remember at one point we were in a restaurant and the waitress came out and delivered some food to a table. The restaurant was very full and... There were many tables and there was maybe only one or two waitresses as well. But I would say about 80% of the tables there raised their hand and tried to wave and get the waitress's attention. And I remember seeing her deliver the food, put her head down and turn around and go back into the kitchen. And I just thought that was hilarious. She had no incentive to really come to the tables, and everyone did eventually get waited on, but it was very much like her goal in that moment was to deliver the food, and then it was to go back and do whatever else she had to do next, not necessarily go wait on people next, because that might have not been what was next on her list. And so it's just a very different way of dealing with things, 
and interacting with things. Now, that's not to say that every transaction that we had in Cuba was this way. In fact, this is more typical in the restaurant scene, but when we were in some of the downtown areas of Havana, for instance, when we wanted to do the most touristy thing that you could do, which is ride in like a 50s, 60s Chevy or whatever around Cuba and get the tour, this is a different experience. Yes, one of those rides in an old American car. And I remember that that experience was one that we didn't even plan on doing at first because it seemed so touristy that we weren't very interested. But on our last day in Cuba, we decided to go on one of these rides because we didn't have a lot else going on and we thought it would be something fun and why not go. And so we went up and found a car I would say it was one of my favorite things we did in the entire country, which was really unexpected because I didn't expect to have so much fun doing it. The driver we chose, I can't remember his name, but he was one of the nicest people we met in Cuba. He was so sweet and kind. He owned his car, and so we were paying him, and for an hour, he took us around and drove us anywhere we wanted to go. He had a list of places that we could choose from, but a lot of them we had seen already, so he took us to some places that we just thought were interesting. He took us to this bosque, which was a beautiful forest in the city. He took us to this artsy area, and he said he would just drive us around. It was nice because we felt like we were paying him and his car directly, even though it was a really touristy thing. And we had some really good conversations with him. I would say that he was one of a few Cubans that I did have a slightly deeper conversation with and asked about him traveling and what it was like to live in Cuba. And it's always interesting when you meet people from a different country because you never know how much or how little to ask them and I definitely was talking with him about American Cuban relations and how him and other Cubans I had talked to were excited to see that potentially our countries would have more trade and more relations going forward in the future. But there's also just this awkwardness I think of talking about how different our countries are and especially when I look at Cuban history and I think of the special period in 1991 where Cuba was backed by the Soviet Union, and basically when the Soviet Union fell, the economy in Cuba plummeted, and they lost as much as 60% of their economy. And there's a stat that at that time, the average Cuban over those few years lost a third of their body weight. And so that fact really stuck with me as we were walking around Cuba and meeting people because that happened in my lifetime. So I know that these people that we're meeting and we're talking to, it happened in their lifetime. And they probably remember it pretty vividly because it was a rough time. And so that's something that I never got to ask anybody because I felt way too scared. As weird as it is, I wanted to ask someone like, did you lose a third of your body weight? Like, what is that experience like? Because I can't even imagine. But those are things that unless I knew someone a little bit better, I don't feel quite comfortable asking. Yeah, reflecting back on all of it now, I mean, we did a lot in Cuba. It was really a fantastic time. It's definitely good to reflect back now, and it's fun to think of all the things that we learned and that we experienced in Cuba. But I do know that when we were done with that trip, we were ready to go back home. We were ready to be back in the U.S., and I was so excited to go to a restaurant and see a waiter smile at me. I won't take that for granted as much anymore. 
Well, thank you for being along on this travel journey, both physically and verbally on this episode and helping me tell this story about Cuba. Yes, absolutely. And I can't wait to join you again to tell your next story. That'll be lovely. I can't wait. Hey Globetrotters, thanks for listening to Trinspo, the travel inspiration podcast. If you loved this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. To support the pod and rock some swag while heading out on your next adventure, check out our new merch page at trinspo.com slash merch. You can always get more of us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and trinspo.com. Thanks for coming along for the journey. 